0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāya Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāya Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāya Welcome back everyone. We are now reading about Maya. What an interesting topic. Who would ever think you could spend days, weeks, months discussing Maya? But I think it's very important for our Krishna consciousness And so that's what we're doing. And we've just began reading yesterday, so today is... Is that correct? Is today the second or third day? I think Mm -hmm. today is the second day we're reading about Maya. So I'm going to bring up the document, and then we are going to chant Jairada Madhava. Invoke auspiciousness, and then allow everyone to get ready. Now I have to find the document. This is one of the major challenges in my life, finding documents. (laughs) Hare Krishna. Okay. The power of maya. Nope. I have three documents on maya. And the other ones are coming up and I don't know why I have to Microsoft it's all their fault I'm innocent okay hold on one of the challenges of having 5000 files is remembering where you put them and what you named them Hmm. Ha. Huh. I remembered. We were talking about Maya and Yoga Maya. Yes. We found it now. Some information yesterday. The first letter we read was a letter written in 1949 by to a person named Jagat Jagannath Babu. Oh, I don't know if this is the same person, but there was a, a person in Godiamath named Jagat Bandhu. he was a wealthy businessman and this could have been him okay so let's have a little kirtan and let me just get set up for that I was a little late today Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna Krishna Krishna, Hare 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 Ramo, Hare Ramo, Amaramo, Hare Hare Radha Marava, Kunjabi Hare Totally unprepared right now. Radha Madhava. Madhava, Madhava. Radha Madhava. Om Namo Bhagavate Bhāsudevāya, Om Namo Bhagavate Bhāsudevāya, Om Namo Bhagavate Bhāsudevāya. Hare Krishna. So I just have to find where we left off and we will begin from there. give me a moment Hmm. Hmm. So we we read off, not not that we read off. <laughs> we left off. Excuse me. We left off reading. I'm going to read this letter again and we'll discuss it a little more. This is from 1967. The devotees of the temple must keep themselves engaged, otherwise they cannot make progress in Krishna consciousness. The maya is very strong, and as soon as there is opportunity, the maya will come and attack. Therefore, everyone should be careful against the attack of maya. And the only effective defense is to remain in Krishna consciousness always. So, I believe I told the story that we were not having a strict schedule in the very early days. And some maya entered. We were staying out very late on Harinam Sankirtan, coming back late. Sometimes 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 a.m., and obviously not rising at 4 a.m. for Mughal Arty. So when some problems entered the movement in which Prabhupada's position was being diminished, he became concerned. And he felt that Maya was entering the movement, that there was some conspiracy to take over, the, to to minimize his position, eventually <coughs> even occupy his position as the leader, As and therefore Prabhupada said, Uh, all paperwork, all books, all signs, everything should say A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, founder of Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. He saw that there was some move being made by some persons in India to take that position. And so Prabhupada established that this is my movement, I'm the founder, I'm the Acharya, there will be nobody else. But some maya had entered, and that, and that maya, that not some, this particular maya that had entered, probably was very afraid that this could destroy his movement. So he was starting to tighten the ship up, so to speak, and one of the things that he did was he insisted that we all attend seven days a week, the morning program, which meant that we wouldn't go out at night on Harinam because... If we go out a night at Hari Nam, we come back late. And if we come back late, we get up late. Hare Krishna. So, so. Um, but this this was writ- this letter was written way before that. But a similar letter was written at that time, in which Prabhupada was saying, "Here is the schedule. Follow the schedule." don't let one minute lapse where you're not engaged in Krishna service. And engaged also means in sadhana, it also means in preaching and and other temple activities, everything, festivals, whatever it may be. And so, then Prabhupada said, if you follow the schedule, there will be no maya. If there's a lapse in following the schedule in that space, that's where maya will enter. Maya enter the space where you stop being Krishna conscious. Hmm. And that's where we, we get this idea that comes up often in Prabhupada saying, always be engaged, 24 hours engaged, never a moment for anything but Krishna like that. And so that was Prabhupada's instruction to us that Every moment without Krishna is an opportunity for maya. Or we could say every moment without Krishna is maya. Not even an opportunity. <coughs> and Prabhupada said maya is right behind Krishna. So as soon as Krishna is not there, hello, guess who's here? So it's nice to see it that way. <coughs> maya is... Standing behind Krishna, if you move Krishna aside, then you can see Maya. She comes and takes over. Either Krishna or Maya will take over. So that's the idea. So that's where we left off yesterday, Hare Krishna. So now we're still in nineteen sixty seven. I've just gone through the letters about the power of maya up to 1969. And certainly we can imagine that in these days, 1967, devotees were very immature and Prabhupāda didn't have a big organization with uh, senior devotees and therefore uh, there was a lot of maya young devotees not being guided well. So Prabhupāda was the main guide but not a lot of the greatest association, and, and not so much knowledge about Krishna consciousness. So there was, there was a lot, a lot of talk about maya because there was a lot. Maya was trying to enter into the weak hearts of the new devotees. So this is from 1967 and this is in August. The feeling which you had by becoming compassionate to the fallen bum is very good. So I guess she wrote a letter about how she was trying to give prasadam to to this bum. But the best way to deliver a bum, a bum is a homeless person. That's the unpolitically correct word that we used to use, a homeless person. And if someone was asking for money, you would say they're bumming donations or they're bumming, they bum me for money. The bum, bum's bum when they want things. But the best way to deliver a bum is to revive his dormant Krishna consciousness. If you can do that, then give the bum good food and shelter. If you cannot do that, then simply supplying food and shelter is serving the maya. I'll explain... What Prabhupada means by by that in a moment. But there is no benefit to serving maya, you know, as it is all false, temporary or illusion. We are concerned with reality, not maya. And that should be the object of life. So when I was reading this letter, I was thinking about Arjuna's position. And there seems to be somewhat of a contradiction in the first chapter and second early part of the second chapter of the Gita in which Arjuna is being compassionate and both being glorified by Prabhupada and condemned by Prabhupada for being compassionate. So I just wanted to make the distinction and then we can discuss this letter because it's, it's quite similar, if not identical. I am too loud. Too loud. That better? too loud now it's better okay i won't be so loud hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 ram hare ram 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 better now i made it lower it's um yeah it's different when we go into the phone than when i go into my computer distort the word the proper word is distortion The sound is distorted. Is it better now? Hare Krishna, better now. Beta. Okay, now I will remember the settings and we'll always set it like this. Okay. Beta. Beta. It is beta. So, yeah. So, obviously, compassion is important. For the world and important for the devotee. And in the Bhagavatam Prabhupada said compassion is the, the the greatest quality of the Vaishnava and compassion is often missing in the lives of sadhus who become more concerned about their own liberation than the liberation of others. So Prabhupada has glorified compassion as a unique and <coughs> Uh, a a unique quality of a Vaishnava and one of the most glorious qualities of the Vaishnava. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur said that bhakti is comprised of compassion, amongst other things, is comprised of compassion. And he said that when you have love of Krishna, with love of Krishna automatically, that love for Krishna means love for everyone else, compassion for everyone else. So, it would seem strange therefore that krishna would be chast- chastising arjuna for his compassion when in our philosophy compassion is exalted in you could say in any philosophy compassion is exalted so why is krishna chastising arjuna for his compassion he's actually not chastising him for his compassion He's chastising him for where he's placing his compassion and how he's using his compassion. So, if we take compassion before it's manifested in the world, we all agree that compassion is, is necessary. It's an exalted quality of a Vaishnava. Paradhuka dugi. A Vaishnava feels pain to see others suffer. And so, this is Titikshiva Kurunika. He's full of mercy. He's, Vaishnavas are glorified. Kripa-sindhu, the ocean of mercy. So, Radharani, the manifestation of compassion. Mahaprabhu, delivering the fallen souls out of compassion. But with Arjuna, it was compassion which was misdirected, directed towards the body. And specifically, it was compassion which was going against Krishna's instruction. So compassion is good. How it's utilized, who it's for, and what the context. It can be in passion, it can be in ignorance, it can be in goodness. You can give charity in ignorance. Like, you know, you can give meat, or you could, you know, let's let's go out and give wine to all the bums. It's Christmas. We'll give them wine. And then they all get drunk and fall over and walk out on the street drunk and maybe get in an accident. And that's... So our great compassion is misdirected. So Arjuna's compassion was misdirected. It wasn't that Krishna didn't approve of compassion. He did. Prabhupada glorified Arjuna for being compassionate. He just didn't approve of how that compassion was being directed, was being used. So that's the point. And so that same point is being made here. It's nice that you're helping the bum, but if you just, if you really want to help them, make them Krishna conscious, then Naturally, we give food and shelter to all devotees. But if you just give them food and shelter and don't make them Krishna conscious, then that is not, that is a misuse of compassion. And what does Prabhupada say? Then he says, simply supplying food and shelter is serving the maya. Because what does Prabhupada mean by that? Because you could say, well, if we give food and shelter... That's service, that's seva. But what will they do with that food and shelter? They'll engage in material activities. Without guiding them in Krishna consciousness, they'll engage in material activities. Correct? So that's Prabhupada's point. You're, you're energizing someone, but you're not giving them knowledge. So you're being kind, but your kindness is missing. And therefore... The kindness of Krishna consciousness is missing, so the kindness of food and shelter will only keep them in the material world. So Prabhupada's coming from the context of getting people out of the material world. And we would define compassion as giving people Krishna consciousness so they can end the cycle of birth and death. And anything else we do to help them materially without giving them Krishna consciousness would be keeping them in maya and therefore it would be Maya. And of course you'll say, but the food that they're giving it's prasadam. Yes, that's true. But she was also talking about giving shelter. So food and shelter and, and basically administering to their material needs. And then you might say, But shouldn't shouldn't we help people who are hungry? And it's true. Prabhupada did. He fed them prasadam and householders. It's their duty to feed hungry people. And, but when, when you talk about what you would do individually and what you talk about what you would do institutionally, sometimes there's a difference. So, for example, Prabhupada says, when a householder eats, before they when, they, when they're ready to eat, before they eat, they go outside and call, and it wouldn't do any good if I did it here because my nearest neighbor is like 100 yards away. Any hungry man, please come. And it's their duty to feed all hungry men, which might seem to be a contradiction. You're just feeding people, of course, it's prasadam. It's a duty of the householder to feed all the animals, any animals on your property that come, feed them. I feed them every night. I let the mosquitoes bite me when I chant my evening Gayatri and morning Gayatri. So that's a duty of a householder feed all hungry men. And Prabhupada said no one should go hungry within 10 miles of the temple. So by extension, there is some there is some context there or, or some crossover. But as far as a, a movement to feed hungry people, that's not the primary duty of Krishna consciousness. And when Prabhupada was questioned about it, he said, yes, we're doing what we can. He said, but it's not... It's not the primary function because the real need is not for food. The real need is for God-consciousness. And there is plenty of food, but it's misappropriated. And if the world were God-conscious, it wouldn't be misappropriated. So, so yes, you're hungry, I'll feed you. But the solution to your, to your hunger is make the world Krishna-conscious. There'll be enough food. Uh, instead of throwing food in the ocean to keep the prices high or artificially raising prices of food to make profit. Uh, as you know, many things like that go. Um, mm, huh? Hare Krishna. Am I serious about the mosquito? Um, here. I could show you where they are eating me. No, it's not intentional. I don't intentionally go out to feed them. They just... You know, it's not mosquitoes. It's weird bugs and spiders here that when they bite you, you remain for like a month or two or a lifetime with their bites and scabs. I'm not that merciful. Uh, maybe when I'm more advanced, I'll go outside and feed them. Just go out in my, in my swimming trunks and say, come, prasadam. Um, there was a devotee like that. I, I forget who. He had... Was it Sanatana Goswami? He had sores and bugs and the bugs were living off the sores and one bug fell out and he put the bug back. Haven't evolved to that state yet. But... Anyway, the, the point that Prabhupada's making is that uh, some spiders are poisonous. Yeah, we have 800 million four hundred thousand varieties of spiders here in florida if you like spiders this is the place for you problem is they moved into my office and i don't know how to get rid of them i don't want i don't like killing bugs and we have a whole we have a whole you know bug farm in here in my office yeah dangerous place to be sometimes So so Prabhupada's point was if you do anything out of compassion but the result of your so-called compassion is that it only furthers a person's material existence then that actually your compassion is the action of maya. So so, um, it's interesting because because sometimes we think, okay, if you take the word compassion, then we think, well, compassion is always good. And if you take something like anger, we think, well, anger is always bad. And here, Prabhupada showing you can have compassion that isn't good. You can have anger that is good. We've talked about this before. So in and of itself, you know, most people would say compassion is good. And we would say, well, it depends how you place your compassion. Most people would say, uh, anger is bad. Yeah, it could have been Vasudev Dante. Most people would say anger is bad. And we say, well, it depends how you use it. So that's the idea. So that's the point Prabhupada's making. You use your compassion, but you use it in a way that this person remains in the material world, and ultimately it's material compassion. Now, there's another interesting thing that Prabhupada says, and this is, must have been Vasudeva Dutta. Amazing. A bug, like a worm falls off a sore in his body and that's the worm's food so he puts it back on. Hare Krishna. I haven't, I'm not that evolved yet. I usually brush them off when they start biting. So, now Prabhupada said something interesting that helps us clarify this topic and understand how Compassion can be engaged in in different modes of nature. And so when compassion degrades itself, it's an activity, even though it's compassion, it's an activity of passion or ignorance. So Prabhupada said, yeah, it made of him Anyway, one of you can find out who it was. It may have been Sanatana, not Vasudeva So Prabhupada said, if, I'm only trying to help somebody physically. Excuse me. It's very humid here. If I'm only only trying to help someone physically, even though I'm helping them, hmm. Even though I'm helping them, it's help in the mode of passion. Because in the mode of passion, you identify with the body. So I'm helping the body, I'm thinking this person is the body, I don't understand they're the soul. So if an ordinary person is doing good to help the body, of course, that's pious, that's good. But Prabhupada clarifies it, it's it's a vision based on being in the mode of passion. And so Prabhupada said something really interesting and it's a philosophical point which is worth noting. He said that if someone does welfare work in the mode of passion only helping another person on the physical level, which is based on seeing only the body, then by that compassion and help, they'll become more identified with the body. They, they themselves will become more engrossed in, in passion. And normally we would think, well, helping is in the mode of goodness. But Prabhupada's point was, if you help based on realization, or based on thinking that I am the body, then that help is in passion. And by engaging in that help, you become more engrossed in the bodily conception. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we would think, well, that's better, you know, you're helping people, that's good, it's better. But but if you're helping them with the wrong conception, then that wrong conception becomes strengthened by helping them. Of course, it's better to help people than be self-centered, there's no question. So, this is a philosophical discussion on the practical level if it's a question of you're going to just live a life for yourself or you're going to live a life for others, better live a life for others, uh, ultimately, in the long run, that will help you because at least it will help you overcome your selfishness. But if, it, if it's fundamentally based on thinking they're the body, it actually, it actually reinforces your concept that you're the body. That's interesting. Isn't it? You find that interesting? I find it very interesting. Okay, there's some discussion going on here. I'm trying to follow it while I'm talking, but I may have missed something. I'm making Badr Soma laugh, and he doesn't even have to drink Soma, Rasa, and he's laughing. Okay. So I have a comment by Krishna Karshani. Vijay Lakshmi was asking, if I am serious about feeding the mosquitoes, uh, maybe it's Krishna's arrangement. He wants to feed the mosquitoes and use me as his instrument. What should be first, self-compassion or compassion for others? We should first take care of ourselves or others should be first. Ah, Every morning you take care of yourself and every day you take care of others. And if you stop taking care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of others. Physician, heal thyself. Prabhupada quoted that. The physician's sick, he can't go to the office. Or he's sick and he gets everyone else sick. (laughs) Did you know physicians are actually... um, I was told physicians are quite unhealthy. That's very interesting. Philanthropists think they're the most compassionate. So, the point is they may be compassionate... It's just, it's not that they're not. It just means the compassion, because it's not guided by Brahmins, then the compassion can be misused. So it's good. You want to clean up this problem, that problem. It's nice that people think that way, but without the guidance of a guru, its it has limitation. And that's why Prabhupada said, he said the only thing that can save the world is Krishna consciousness. You can... You know, it's what Prabhupada called band-aid solutions. That you have a cut, you put a band-aid. You didn't heal. Okay, the cut won't get infected, but you have to do something to heal it. So, band-aid. The the concept of band-aid solutions are temporary solutions. So, okay. So we have lots of temporary solutions. So Prabhupada's point was, you help somebody, but now what? They're still in the material world, and the, the problems are not going to go away. They're still confronted with the same problems. I fed you, you're hungry, but tomorrow you'll be hungry and the next day you'll be hungry and you're not well and you need medical attention and I've taken you to the doctor, I paid for it, but maybe next year you'll you'll become sick again and you still have the same problem. Whereas in this example, just using an, an analogy, if I helped you by teaching you and getting you back on your feet so that you could work, so that you could provide food for yourself, medical care for yourself, and so on, that would be a greater service than just feeding you. So that was Prabhupada's idea. And so that's the mission of Iskon. And now, as I said, in our individual lives, you may see someone on the street, uh, it's cold, you take off your jackets here, here, take this jacket. That, that would be good. That's a sign of your compassion. And you pray for that person and you tell them, can you say Hare Krishna and I'll give you the jacket, like that. So that's good. But um, And Prabhupada even said, you know, the residents of the Dham, Vrindavan Dham, you know, go there, give them things, give charity. Uh, a lot of times when devotees go there, they've been in the West and they collect clothes or they go to thrift shops and they buy clothes and they go back to Vrindavan and distribute to the poor people. They're all Vaishnava Seva. But, you know, the general Prabhupada never said is one of the purposes of ISKCON is that we would distribute clothes to the needy, and so forth. And when Prabhupada was asked about that, he said, "Well, there are other organizations dedicated to do that. To do that, that's not the function of ISKCON. we so it's not that it's not that we're callous and say, 'Oh, let let the cold people suffer, let the hungry people suffer.' it's, it's not like that." Uh, a Vaishnava suffers to see other people suffer. It's just not the mission. It's not the reason Krishna consciousness was created. And as as I said, that Prabhupada said, you know, we do what we can when there were some young there were some children, I was going to say young children, all children are young. There were some I guess young children means very young. There were some children coming to the temple in Juhu. Every morning they would come. They were very poor. Lived in the area. Every morning they would come. And, and Prabhupada told one of the members that was also coming, he said, you should get clo- give, give these children clothes. They're coming to the temple every day. We should clothe them. So Prabhupada saw them like devotees. Give them something to wear. So... It's not that we're not compassionate in that way. And individually, we may do what we do. But it was not the mission of Krishna consciousness. And as I mentioned in Prabhupada's warning, if if I relate to people only as a physical body, then by engaging in welfare work, it will actually reinforce my bodily conception because I'm only dedicated to helping their body and so it keeps me in passion because Rajagun is the place from which we see everyone as the body Satwagun is the place from which we see everyone as spirit soul so at least for us we see them as spirit soul, we give them some food Uh, prasadam please chant Hare Krishna here's an invitation you can come to our temple, although sometimes we may not want to invite everyone to the temple because some people may have mental problems and may disturb the environment, but <clears throat> we may not be able to help them. But that's, that's the full-blown flavor of our compassion. <clears throat> like the leper Brahman Basudev from South India, whose leprosy disappeared by sweet Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's transcendental embrace, our ignorance accumulated through many millions of births. and far worse than Vasudeva's leprosy has disappeared by your golden touch indeed the leper vasudeva was physically sick but enlightened internally he even put the fallen worms back into the sores in his skin is that from chaitanya charitamrita yeah so that is that's, that's, that's a ama- vasudeva Dutta is amazing Vasudev Dutta, he asked Lord Caitanya, could I take the sinful reactions of all living entities and then they could all be liberated? You could send them all back to Godhead. Like, could you imagine? Couldn't you? No, no That is not possible to imagine. But we try to imagine the level of compassion of someone who's willing to take all the sins of the world on their head. That is amazing. Totally amazing. And Mahaprabhu said, By your desire I will liberate them. You don't have to take the karma. But the point was, he was willing to take the karma. So... You know, a lot of times when we do compassionate work to help others, it's not that inconvenient, or it's not that difficult, or we don't—we don't really suffer that much. Vasudev saying that he'll take the karma of the whole universe—that's a lot of suffering. That's like millions of lifetimes <clears> of <throat> no suffering. So Billy Lynn has a, a very important question. What is Soma? It's called soma ras. Better I don't tell you what it is, because then you may want to take it. It's a drink, a beverage, a herb only found on the heavenly planets that makes you very strong and powerful. And probably puts you in a really good mood. Some devotee claimed he had some somarasa that he found in the Amazon. I don't know. I'm aware that it's on this planet. But as one of the regular principles is no intoxication, I'm under the impression somarasa is intoxicating. But since it's not really available here, we don't have to worry. And Billy Lynn, you can take the intoxication of the holy name. This is the main purpose of social care, helping the needy. But the world around us is still like this. So philanthropy is not the solution. Krishna conscious philanthropy. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there's so many problems in the world. You solve one, there's a million more. You solve one, it creates another. There are many places in which Prabhupada said that Krishna consciousness is the only thing that can save the world. And how do we understand that? Well, we understand the change of consciousness is the only thing that can save the world. You know, practically you can do things, and practically... you. you, the government's duty is to take care of the citizens and do what they can practically. But Prabhupada said the real duty of the government is to help the people become Krishna conscious. That's the foremost, primary, most important duty. And so, you know, it's kind of like, here's your first class five-star jail cell, and uh, next week we're going to electrocute electrocute you. So what is the good of the five star jail cell? Why don't you just get me free from the death sentence? That would be better. So it's something like that. The welfare work is not freeing them from the death death sentence. It's just enabling enabling them to live better before they get the death sentence. So put in that way it I think it's more clear makes more clear to understand. Now, there is the idea that if people are hungry, and that's their main concern, if we don't feed them, they won't be able to hear about Krishna consciousness. So that also is there. I want to help people, and I'm preaching and the people are saying, we don't even even have enough to eat, we can't hear your message. So we have to take care of that, to take care of the material facility, and then they can hear. So that's there also. Mosquitoes are the main state bird. Oh, I should go there for my Food for Life program. Could giving charity with the right intention but without knowing results, not knowing person's response to Krishna qualifies as if you're If you're trying to give people Krishna, it's transcendental. But the expertise of a devotee is to know how to give Krishna in a way that people can digest it. Well, first accept it and then digest it. Get it in there. So that's the art of spreading Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada has discussed this in the Bhagavatam. He said that, that it's kind of like the way Prabhupada says it, repackage it so it's attractive to people. Take what your guru has given you, take what Prabhupada has given you, and then you can repackage it in a way in the way that you think people would best be able to accept it and that's what our tradition has been doing that books are written books are commented on and one of the reasons we need commentaries is that as kali yuga progresses people's intelligence also is decreasing and also like for example the disciples of Prabhupada, when they comment on things Prabhupada said, often they were present when Prabhupada said it. They know the context. They know what was going on. They've heard him say those things in other contexts. So it's invaluable to get that kind of enlightenment where someone can take what Prabhupada said, clarify it, Make it vivid, make it powerful, make it digestible, make it practicable. Sometimes that's necessary. So that's what the acharyas do. As uh, as people, uh, as time goes on, people are further away from the source, from Mahaprabhu, Goswami, Srila Prabhupada. And so they need help in clarifying. Our duty is to give people Krishna consciousness and Prabhupada often said when you get an order from your spiritual master then your duty is to follow that order in the best way you can and you may think but what is the use of doing this nobody cares What, what what's the use of giving prasadam what, what is the use of going of giving the holy name people will just make fun of us or they'll neglect us or what is the use of giving knowledge they won't understand and so forth so so We, as I said, we want to try to make the knowledge accessible, the prasadam delicious, the presentation of the kirtan attractive. We want to do all these things. But still, sometimes Prabhupada would say that you can't always know what the result will be, but if the order has been given to do it, then you do it. And you accept that I'm executing the order of Srila Prabhupada so it's auspicious. And there will be a re- auspicious result in the long run. So maybe you go somewhere and you do a little kirtan, you distribute some prasadam. You may not see any obvious result, <clears throat> but you've been chased to the order of your spiritual master. You've been chased to the order of Prabhupada and therefore that's perfect. The mistake that devotees have made in the past and we should not make is thinking that if I just give the truth as it was given to me and present it that way that's all I have to do I have to present it according to the time place circumstance, I have to present it in a way that people can understand it I have to present it in a way as far as possible that people can practice it accept it and so forth so that's We don't want to make the mistake. Well, this is true. I just spoke what's true. If people don't accept it, it's not my problem, it's their problem. In some cases, it's true that you did your best and that's all you can do. But in some cases, you may have presented it in a way which is not accessible to people. So then it becomes your fault. But... Faith that this is what Prabhupada told us to do. If we do it, there will be a good result. And we see that practically. Bhakti Lata says, How can we be more compassionate for ourselves and our mind when we have so many attachments and vices to external stimuli to make us feel happy? This is a problem... Because when we don't have the external motivation in life, we feel sad, depressed, lacking in enthusiasm and motivation. Well, a nice example is given, or a nice analogy is given, which can help you in this area. You're asking why, how can we take better care of ourselves? I think that was the beginning more compassionate to ourselves we have so many attachments and vices well imagine yourself as a child and now you're taking care of this child and how do you how would you take care of the child then you ask yourself if i were the child would i treat the child the way i treat myself like like sometimes people berate themselves they demean themselves oh, you're so stupid, why did you do that? You do everything wrong. This, what is called in the world of psychology, negative self-talk. So we we all do that a little bit, but some people do it a lot, and then it becomes a problem. And if you're extremely arrogant, you probably never do it, but then that becomes another problem, that you, you have no humility, and you suffer from a lack of humility. But... If you had a little child and the child did something wrong, would you say, oh, you're so stupid, you always do something wrong. Why can't you do anything right? What's wrong with you? Probably no, because you know that would destroy the child. You'd probably say something like, um, oh, you did it wrong, so let, let's figure out how to do it right. If you want to do that? We'll figure it out, and then we'll do it right and say, yeah, okay. So and then you do it right. Oh, we did it right. We, we rectified the mistake. That's probably how you would deal with it, deal with the child. So think of yourself like that child and ask yourself, if I were that child, how would I deal with myself? And then, let's say the child wants to do something and it's going to be really bad for the child. You would say, well, please don't do that, that's bad for you. It's going to harm you, whatever it is. And like you're saying, we do things that harm ourselves in, in terms of in, in neglecting our Krishna consciousness in preference for sense gratification. So now think of yourself as that child who's about to quote-unquote drink some poison of sense gratification. What would you tell the child? Probably don't do this. It's not good for you. So that's how self-compassion can be understood. And then there's one thing that I've learned. That if... If you have self-compassion, which means you, you are taking care of your Krishna consciousness, you have decent sadhana, you spend time chanting the holy name well, you spend time studying Prabhupada's books, you're taking care of your Krishna consciousness. That, that's what I would call spiritual self-compassion. And you're avoiding doing things which could disrupt your Krishna consciousness. You're you're, uh, avoiding doing things that could undermine your Krishna Consciousness. And so, one thought that I've had that's been very helpful is, if you're tempted, even just by thought, just the thought comes in your mind, what about doing this, doing that? Even if you're tempted to do that, something that you know would be unfavorable, if not devastating for your Krishna Consciousness, You can tell yourself, I I have too much compassion, or I have too much love for myself to allow myself to do that. Because you know if you did that, it would cause you a lot of problems. And so, by developing that kind of affection, it can protect you. No, I care too much about myself to allow myself to do that. And you can see that if you don't care about yourself it's easier to do those things which are self destructive isn't it and so in engaging in self destructive activities i often i often tell devotees i think the solution may be maybe not for everyone 100% of the time but often the solution is just more self care more self love there may be there may be at the core of your being this this belief that I don't really care if I suffer, I'm not. I'm not worth. I'm not worth putting in the time to be Krishna conscious, and that can that can be interest. It's interesting because it's just a purely, it's a it's a purely psychological attitude, which we may have carried into Krishna consciousness from the past. That I just I don't care enough about myself, and so if I don't care enough about myself. I would allow myself to do something which is destructive, physically, emotionally, spiritually, with the thought that, who cares, I'm not worth it anyway. And if you think you're not worth it, then why would you do all the austerity to be Krishna conscious? Why would you do the austerity to reject things which are detrimental to you if you don't think you're worth it? And so I know it It, it almost sounds like, well, isn't this a materialistic idea that that I'm worth it. But Krishna wants your wants a relationship with you, he wants you to go back to Godhead, so it's worth it to him, if it's worth it to him, it should be worth it to you. And the conclusion is, yes, you are worth it. And as long as you are worth it, it's going to be easier for you to reject the things that you may do, may be attracted to doing, that are detrimental to your spiritual life, or even to your health, or emotional well-being so that little that little thought, I love myself too much to do this. when you have this crazy thought of doing something that would be destructive, could even be offending somebody, you know, saying something horrible, putting it online, making a big operad, or engaging in some activity, sinful activity or activity that is would be destructive to your bhakti. To just think, no, I love myself too much to allow myself to do that, even though I may want to, even though I'm impelled. I I love myself too much to allow myself to do that because that would destroy me. And I think many many devotees, perhaps even are unaware of this fact, many devotees who are very strict and disciplined in their Krishna consciousness, who take care of their Krishna consciousness very well, have fundamentally a strong self-love, even though they may not call it that, even they may object to the idea of using this word because where do we find this in Shastra and so forth? Although you could extract it in different ways from Shastra. They may object to it, but the fact is, if you look at their life, they're very careful in their sadhana, they're very careful in their rounds, they're very careful to study Prabhupada's books, they're very careful to do things that preserve their Krishna consciousness. And so... They might say, well, I do this out of love for my guru. I wouldn't deny that. But there's also a sufficient degree of self-love. They they do that because they, they are concerned about their spiritual life. And whether you call it self-love, self-compassion, self-preservation, whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. And so wherever there's a lack of that, there can be, maybe not always, but there can be this I don't care. I'm not worth it. You know what, what does it matter if I, if I engage in this sinful activity? What does it matter? I deserve to suffer. I, you know, all kinds of crazy thoughts could be there. So that's an important point. I've talked about it in many places many times. It's something you can reflect on. Jyotaramaya says, If you give food and KC, then this is the solution. If you only give food, you will keep people in ignorance and their soul still in suffering. You know, what is better? Save the body or save the soul? Why not save them both? So Rupa is asking, could there be two Vasudevas in Chaitanya Leela? This one says from South India, the one who prayed to take all sins. Sort of an incarnation of Prahlad Maharaj. I don't think there's two. I'm not aware of two. Mm. Feed them and get them to chant Hare Krishna and we've solved the problem. How to know that a devotee is compassionate and doing for this own interest or pretending? Yes. As we said many times, you can do a good thing for the wrong reasons. So you could be compassionate just so you, you are appreciated by the Society of Devotees as a, a great compassionate person. So if you're engaged in doing anything, whether it's compassionate or whatever it is, if you're engaged in doing it and the motive is to get recognition or in some way to better your material position, then you know it's not really compassion. Or it's so-called compassion motivated more by your own desire. So this is always possible. You can always take something good and pollute it. You can always take something good and do it for the wrong reason. Always possible. God alone knows. Gok. I thought that meant go to Krishna. But if if the basic needs are not fulfilled like food and shelters, someone cannot go to higher consciousness. We can see it and yeah, so we already talked about that. Mm. Oh, so Kirti says that he may have drank something called ava Vakshka. Now, Kirti, we're all getting inspired to go to the Amazon and drink the herbs. No intoxication, everyone. Not allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bhakti Lata says, how can we be more compassionate? Oh, we read that. <coughs> Krishna Chaitana. Excuse me. <coughs> Govinda. Hare Krishna. <coughs> I'm going through your Some of your comments are like, I've already talked about them, or I forgot the context of them, so I'm not reading them. Reminds me of the guy who gave me a Bhagavad Gita as it is in Times Square in 2002 and walked off. He never saw the result. Here I am. Yeah. So he, Prabhupada said, distribute books. He does it, and look at the result. Chaturmahi says, Personally speaking, I don't like ask people to get something from me. But Guru Maharaj has asked me to distribute books and CDs. So I do it. And I say that it is for service. I actually put Guru Maharaj. Uh, words as a shield around me so I will not be hurt by the negative reactions that I may get. Yeah, that's nice. As Prabhupada said, we may not know the result, but we do it because we've been asked. Jairadhe says, Jairadhe, formerly Jenny Yu, now transformed into Jairadhe. Interesting to reflect on where people's self-critic comes from, their mother, father, abusive partner, Interesting to think about whether we are echoing these voices when we are not compassionate to ourselves. Yeah, that's a possibility. And the point is, and I made this point a lot, and I I think this is extremely important when, when this discussion comes up about Krishna consciousness and psychology, the reality is that, as we can see from this, if you have a certain kind of psychology, it can be an impediment. And of course some people say, well, if you just become Krishna conscious, it will go away. That's, that's true for some people, but it depends on the problem and it depends on the person because it doesn't always go away. And we see a lot of what goes on in ISKCON that seems to be humility, but it's not. It's a psychological weakness. Or an emotional problem, and it's coming out as humility. And sometimes, the person who's manifesting it doesn't even know. They think it's humility, or they think it's humility to berate themselves. Oh, I'm lower than a worm and stool. There's no way that we as sadhus could feel lower than a worm and stool unless we have some emotional disorder. That's you know that should be in the fine print when Krishnadas Daskarvar says. <laughs> And he says, "I feel lower than a woman's stool that the fine print should be don't try this at home you know so there, there there are so many things the acharya say, and the disclaimer should be don't try this at home while you're a sadhana bhakta or bdhi sadhana bhakta i'm I'm feeling you know this I'm feeling that, no you're not feeling this and that and um Billy Lynn had written me and said that I, you know, some people say you should want nothing from Krishna, you know, just like not anything, like Krishna, do whatever you want, you know, roll, have a truck roll me over, whatever, you know, never be visible to me. And but I, but she's saying that you know I don't relate to that at this point, and it's true we don't we don't relate to it because we're not on that level, and if we try to be on that level or imitate that level, we're going to have all kinds of trouble. That for us those levels are like philosophical understandings, not something we can practically do because it's a, you can't be on a level you're not on. You can't feel on a level you're not on. It just you know it's like uh, a guy sees a girl, he's madly in love with her, and and another guy sees her and, and we say feel that you're in love. And he says I'm not. I don't. She's not my type. So you know, maybe if he hung out with her and they got to know one another and so on, he might start feeling it. But it, the feelings have to evolve according to your level of Krishna consciousness. So there's a lot of things we feel. An, another devotee wrote and said, "You know, when we did that compassion exercise, I, you know, I didn't feel I could go to Krishna. I felt like my duty is here to stay with my wife. She's ill and and serve her. And so, to feel, to feel like Vasudeva, you know." Um, Or, or, no, not my glossative, to to feel, no, I could just go back to Godhead immediately, leave everything. We may not be on that level yet. And that exercise was just to check in to see what level you're on. But the point is, if you try to imitate a level that you're not on, you run into trouble. Because you're trying to manifest something that can only be manifest on a higher stage. And therefore you misunderstand it and it becomes artificial to practice it and then you start conflating low self-esteem with humility and your low self-esteem tends to increase and then you think that berating yourself is actually what you're supposed to do when actually, when it, when it, it's if you berate yourself from, from as a manifestation of prema yeah but if you berate yourself as a manifestation of low self-esteem or other uh, some other emotional problem it just starts destroying you so whether it came from your mother, your father, wherever it came from. The fact is if it exists, it exists. And and you know, it, it is helpful in therapy to understand where it came from because if you can identify, oh yeah, my mother used to say these things and that's why I feel this way, then it it may be a tool which enables you to to overcome it, heal it, transcend it, because you see, oh that's where it came. And I'm just it's not really coming from me. I'm just repeating what she said which Jai is saying is the most common, and she's a therapist, so she would know. So that's the most common way it comes up. But just realizing that it's there and it is an impediment is important. Otherwise we think, no, my low self-esteem is actually a very high level of humility. Well, it could be, but in the cases I've seen, in most cases I've seen, it's not purely a manifestation of humility it's often a manifestation of other things which are unhealthy so personally i think these things are important to understand because they can be impediments to bhakti in the name of being favorable they can become impediments and it's it's we have to mark it and no no this is not healthy this is wrong I don't, I'm putting myself down. Consequence, I don't care about myself. I don't think I'm worth it. I'm calling that humility and I'm allowing my sadhana to become compromised because I don't care because I think, well, I'm not worth it or I'm very bad. And that could morph into that I can't have good sadhana. I'm too weak. You know, it could morph into all kinds of unhealthy things. And if you think uh, you can't, if you think you don't deserve it, that's a serious problem. Last night in a class, uh, Prem Kishore was asking you know, that I don't feel like I can be Krishna conscious at the time of death. And I said, well, you should feel that way because the process can do it. Although you may personally feel you can't, that's not the issue. The process will work. So sometimes these personal feelings that I can't can, can get in the way of the reality that the process works. So that's another problem. I'm so fallen, I'm so this and that, I could never be Krishna conscious. Maybe... You know, you could isolate that as a as a valid point, but within the context of, of the fact that you have the process of Krishna consciousness, it's no longer valid. And then, if you still feel that way, it could just be a weakness of your own psychology, I'm so bad, I'm so worse, which which underlying it, then it can even be an excuse. This is Jairani, this is where it gets kind of um, to a very diseased level of consciousness it becomes an excuse, maybe not even we're not even aware of it. it, becomes an excuse for not being serious. What's the use? I can, I tried, I'm so this, I'm so that. And Prabhupada never liked the I'm so this, I'm so that, because he saw that could easily transform into an excuse. Why don't you do this Prabhupada? I'm so fallen, why even try? I've tried before, it doesn't work. Okay maybe you're lacking, but the process works and you have to take the process better and it will work. Okay. I noticed that there are devotees who in the name of Krishna consciousness and preaching are neglecting themselves and ending up frustrated, saying, that they feel used by the organization and grew, even used by the organization and grew, even if it seems that there is not enough preaching that we first have to take care of ourselves. Yeah. It's it's an important point because it's easy by reading Prabhupada's books, and it's it's easy by listening to classes to prioritize preaching over taking care of yourself, and then that results in Uh, Some of these symptoms you describe here are other symptoms. And then you lose enthusiasm, you're not happy and so forth. I mean, this happens a lot in Krishna consciousness that we misunderstand something, then we misapply it and then there's a bad result. And then we don't realize it was our misunderstanding and then we blame it on the organization. Why were you preaching that way? Well, I didn't mean that you would do this or I didn't mean that you would understand it in this way. You've taken it in the wrong way. So... If we if we always understand as a found foundation that taking care of ourselves is fundamental, then we'll be less likely to misunderstand things in, in a way that we would minimize ourselves or burn ourselves out or not take care of ourselves properly. <clears throat> and so we have to help devotees understand this. So it's a good point. Kishoremani says. Uh, so many devotees expect to take care of someone not only food at least in the west the big challenge to help others oh i mean people the general public expects that we take care of people yeah we have uh, we can follow that principle no one should go no one should uh, be hungry within 10 miles and food distribution, and certainly we'll take care of anyone who wants to do service and live and follow the principles in the ashram, right? That's our seva to the world. We can do that. But we also have to educate people that it's not that we're against these things, but our organization was not primarily established to do these things. It's like, let's say you're a doctor and someone says, why aren't you educating your patients? And the doctor says, Well, my my service is to heal them. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not educating them. For education, they go to school, university. For healing their physical ailments, they come to us. If someone challenged Jairah, why are you not healing people physically? You're only healing them mentally. And said, Well, that's that's not what I was trained to do. That's not the purpose of the organization I work for. So that was one of Prabhupada's answers. We were established for this purpose. It's not its not that we, we say, oh, if you feed people, it's bad and you should stop. We're going to go, you know, have a big protest march. Stop feeding people. Don't give them clothes. It's, that's not the point. The point is we have a different mission and we believe that the mission we have would solve all the other little problems that you're trying to solve individually. So that's the idea so you want to present that to the world and present that to yourself and if you have a nature where you really feel that you want to help homeless people and so forth you can do you can bring them prasadam you can bring them books bring them the holy name and those people are obviously they're in a very humble position and it makes them very open to krishna consciousness Akush says, does compassion mean to be happy within, as mentioned in Bhagavatam? Yeah, that's, that's, well, to be happy within is is a symptom of Krishna consciousness. And so, self-compassionate means to give yourself Krishna consciousness, and that will be the symptom. And if I'm not happy, I can think, okay, I'm not happy, I must be doing something wrong, And I need to find out what it is. So happiness is also a sign that you're taking care of your Krishna consciousness, that you're doing something right. Sardiya Rasa says, What can we do to change our core beliefs? If we realize one of our core beliefs is that we deserve to suffer, experience pain, how can we change this to form core beliefs which include more compassion to ourselves? I have a series on beliefs. I forget the name of it. Maybe it's just beliefs. But one thing you can start doing to change beliefs is to change behavior. So start acting as if you had the belief that you were to take care of yourself. So, you know, you can ask yourself, well, if I had more self-compassion, what would I do differently? Or if I had what did you say here, um, deserve to suffer, if I had no, no stain or drop or bit of dust of this consciousness that I deserve to suffer, what would I be doing differently now? And it it could be really, really amazing for you, especially for those of you who have this belief that I deserve to suffer, I'm not worthy, to start thinking, well, how will my actions be different if I didn't have that, and start thinking, well if i didn't feel that way i would probably do this and that it could be it could be major a major transformation for you and then so that's step 1 step 2 is to actually do it because doing it reinforces the new belief so the first thing is is just you know if i didn't want to suffer what would i believe how would i act what would i do what would i think what would be my attitudes and then engage in those activities so you know let's let's give an example you might say well I would probably be doing this because this is something I really like to do. Maybe it's learning shlokas or maybe it's reading, Maybe it's drawing paintings for Krishna. Maybe it's a project you put off because you thought you it was you like doing it, so maybe I shouldn't do what I like or I don't feel qualified, whatever. So you would probably come across something like that and say, "Well, you know, I'd probably spend time every day to do a little drawing because I really like to draw, but I just thought oh, I don't deserve it, you know and so just start doing that because that drawing would be a manifestation of, the, of the, other, the other desire that no, I should take care of myself drawing is inspiring like some of us like to do kirtan, that inspires us some of us like to teach some of us like to write, paint write poetry I have a god brother, Kalakantra Prabhu he loves to write poetry he's got whole books of poetry Gita, Bhagavatam he's got a new rap book on po- Gita poetry, rap I think I have it here somewhere yeah so you know you may you may come up with something like that when you start thinking that way but then when you engage in that activity, you can feel it's nurturing yourself. It's, it's, it's instilling that new belief that I should take care of myself. Uh, I should, uh, you know, of course, if we have to suffer, that's a different thing than thinking I deserve to it. No, my Guru Maharaj says do this. It's going to be austere. Okay, I do it out of service for him, not because I think, well, this is good because I'm the scum of the universe and I should just suffer for all my sins. Um, and that can be counterproductive. So, try it. Everyone, can, everyone who has that I deserve to suffer mentality can try this. Uh, if you help, uh, Vijay says it locks me, if you help others, you'll be happy. It's true. Behavioral cognitive therapy. Yeah. Chayratai does that in her job. Yeah, so I'm gonna Billy Lynn is saying this is really helpful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the point I was making because um, it's a common problem. That we read something and then we think, I'm not on this level and we become discouraged. Even depressed, even we may wanna give up. But that's that's not what's supposed to happen when you when you read about when you read about these great devotees it's not supposed to like throw you off and make you think "Oh, I'm supposed to be like him it would be like like you hear a PhD talk about how important it is to have a PhD and then you start lamenting because you don't have one no it's meant to inspire you to get one so that's the idea so-and-so is feeling this way. I don't feel this way. It's not my level. Right now, if I feel that way, it would be counterproductive. I wouldn't even want to be Krishna-conscious if I feel like Krishna may never show his, his smiling glass, glance upon me. I need that relationship. I want it. But Radharani says, you can not be present before me. Whatever it is, it's okay. That's a manifestation of Mahabhav, the highest level of prema. So, you know, we can't compare ourselves and think, well, I'm supposed to be that way. We're never going to be on the level of Radharani, number one, and certainly we are not going to be even close to it in our present state. So so you have to evaluate everything according to your present state of Krishna consciousness and say, well, am I doing well according to who I am? And if I have this desire for a relationship with Krishna, if I have this desire, Krishna, please reveal yourself to me. I need to see you. Please reveal your affection. That's actually good, because that will inspire you. And so we want to evaluate things on the basis of, is this proper philosophically, and is this inspiring? Because if something is not inspiring you, it's likely you've misunderstood it, or it's likely it's not Krishna conscious, because if it's Krishna conscious, it should inspire you. So sometimes if we lose our inspiration, we have to take a step back and say, did I misunderstand? Am I seeing this in the wrong way? So, you know, Billy Lynn, we cannot imitate Radharani, that's for sure. So, Kirti says, Recently, we had a discussion among devotee friends about Varnashram. Amandavati said that he has done something that he's still carrying with him after 10 years. When he got down from the bus... That's a long one, hold on. Whoa! When he got down from the bus at this village in Russia, one very old lady approached him and asked if he could help her carry her bags full of meat to her home. He said that he would do it but had to go to the bathroom and never came out until she left. Until she left cursing him. Now he thinks that he should have helped her. These are ethical dilemmas. The opinion in our group was divided. Half of us thought that he should help her, while the other half thought that we shouldn't help if it gets us involved in sinful activity. The other group's main argument was that it was his dharma to help an elderly person and we are to establish Varnashram. Dharma, we shouldn't be part of the society and be helpful. Otherwise, we will be seen as a small religious sect. What are your thoughts on this matter? If we have three minutes for a class, and we won't end in three minutes if I start talking about this, but it's an interesting topic, and one thing I will say is that I would predict, even if you bring this up to the GBC, you're going to get two opinions. I don't think you're going to get a universal opinion about this, and And I would just say this, it's like, it is true that when you look at things through the lens of Varnashram, you often come up with a different answer than when you look at them through the lens of preaching. Sometimes the same, sometimes different. So, you know, it's context-oriented. As a pure philosophical discussion, we could discuss it another time. And so Tanya has put up, I guess she's put up the link to the course on Beliefs. Um, Deepa says, I don't have a problem with self-compassion anymore. I find people around me struggling with self-love. With my self-love. <laughs> Taking me a hard time. Oh my God. So that means they just misunderstand. Self-love, uh, there's, if you can find this letter, or someone can find this letter, maybe Satya Rupa. We probably put it in our book, Living the Wisdom. Prabhupada wrote a letter to Ramachandra, he said, said, the highest service is to save others, but higher is to save yourself. So the people who are doubting you, if they see that letter, it will help them. And there's another letter Prabhupada says, there was a conversation, he said, if you go off, let's say you go off to the forest and then you decide to kill yourself, and nobody can save you, you're just there. He said that's self-envy. So self-envy would be the opposite opposite of self-love because those you're envious of you don't generally love. Not so much. So, if you have self-envy, that means you're harming yourself. So whatever you want to define as the opposite of self-envy, self-compassion, self-care. Maybe self-care is a word that's more ISKCON friendly, devotee friendly. Self-love sounds like I should only love Krishna. Self-love sounds like you know, you're narcissistic or something. I was talking with the devotee about sexual purity. He said, we're going to have a website called Sexual Purity. He said, no, no, don't say sexual purity. People will think it's pure sex. Sex in its purest form. <laughs> so, you know, maybe self-love is, is should be replaced by self-care. And you can tell them, no, this is just part of the... You know, we have devotee care, but we also have devotee self-care. Yeah, maybe that's more... More understandable, but if you can find that letter and share it with him, that would be that would be helpful. Billy Lynn, I was thinking if I added it, it would be. No, I don't know what the it is. (laughs) Because you're all writing comments in the moment, then we go back, uh, and I don't understand context. I was seeing images of batteries. Um, yes, yeah, we lost the context. K.B. Kaylee, Kelly B. There are things I definitely needed to hear. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same thing for you, K.B. It, it's like you know what we feel at one stage of Bhakti may not be the way we feel at another stage, and what we feel now can be good. Um, Before you were attending the classes, we were having a discussion about what we should be desiring, what we should be thinking. And we're making the point that on a certain level of bhakti, we should be thinking one way. at another level, we would think another way. And if I say, KB, you should think like Bhāsudevādhāta. He wanted to take the karma of the world on his shoulder. And you might say, "Uh, I'm not ready for that. And I would say, of course you're not ready for that. No, none of us are, but this is the like definitive, ultimate end of compassion, and it's there hanging in front of us. If we want to define compassion, we can say this is it. I would, t- you know, compassion means you're willing to suffer for the whole universe, and so nobody should feel bad that they're not on that level, and you know. You might feel like, no, like like you feel like, no, I need to stay in the world to take care of the people that depend on me. I feel like that all the time. Otherwise, I would be very happy to leave my body. And I think, I can't think like that because Krishna will fulfill that desire. And I have so many people that want me to stay. I have so many people I'm serving. So, it, it, I always kind of try to adjust my desire to the practical implications of what we're doing. But but ultimately, it should be whatever Krishna wants. But, but practically, I think, well, this is probably the best thing, to desire to live to be a ripe old man, ripe old age. Although personally, I think, why live to be an old man if you're not healthy? So, like that. we We adjust to the realities of what we're feeling. So what you're feeling on one level may be good, but on another level it would be bad, right? Just like, you know, what an 8-year-old's feeling and a 28-year-old's feeling could be unhealthy at one level, healthy at another level, right? You know, the 8-year-old is, you know, talking about all kinds of elevated stuff and dating and marriage and like, why are you talking about this? That would be weird, but at twenty eight no, you need to know these things. You need to know them when you're you know younger than twenty eight so that's the idea. We're going over time. I got myself entangled um being an association of pure devotees is what helps people like me to progress, yeah just you know you I'm sharing. I'm sharing... Oh, there's the letter, fan. Tanya. Oh, Tanya's our... I forgot. Tanya's our private detective. Ask her anything and she'll find it for you. Well, Tanya, there's one thing I haven't found yet, which was my... the date I was initiated. And... I looked it up and they weren't even close they had—they just said Mahatma Das February 1970, it was March I wanted to get the exact day but since you're a private detective by Samskar by nature, maybe you can find out the actual date of that initiation, it was in March in the second half of March 1970 in Los Angeles if she finds this out then I think she is amazing but you're still amazing, even if you don't find it out. Okay, so we're going to end class here. Um, these are important things we discussed today. Hare right, Krishna, to all of you. At 1.30, if any of you want to attend, we're doing a, a class on forgiveness for a group of people that come to a Wednesday night program at Soho. But I don't know if they're going to be in Soho or they're going to be in their homes. So you're all invited. That is advertised on Facebook. Uh, it's on Zoom, so we'll see you there. And hopefully, if everything is done well, anything done on Zoom also gets broadcast onto my Facebook page. So that's at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. That's 6.30 London Time. 7.30 Polish Time. And after that, 7.30 South African Time. That is... 10.30 West Coast, Los Angeles time. And we're also having our japa session at 12 o'clock, a little less than two and a half hours. So we'll see you there. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Go Pramanandi, Hare Hare Bo.